And what I notice is that the freedom from people are always um, relating their motivation to something they're trying to get away from. Is there anything that just motivates you from a positive creative standpoint? Or is it always going to be um, the repair the repair of some sort of uh, pain? You can't, on the one hand, declare yourself as unique, okay, and then complain about how other people aren't like you. Right, this is a really fun episode because Dan and I create the top 10 capabilities and mindsets of a successful entrepreneur. And full disclosure, right up front, we didn't know what they'd be when we started this. So we kind of made them up. But I think you're going to be impressed and really enjoy this episode. Dan, any big takeaways? No, uh, you never know what's going to come out of our minds. That's and being a good of, entrepreneur. And all about. Out of our mouths. Out of yeah. our mouths. So. <laughs> Well, I think you're going to enjoy this episode. Dan and I certainly enjoyed making it. So check this one out. All right, Dan. So today we're talking about what the top 10 capabilities every person, every entrepreneur should have or develop. And maybe the frame this even deeper is after coaching for 40 years, seeing a lot of successful uh, members of Strategic Coach, also evolving and developing all the tools that you have, got this huge library... Um, there are definitely certain capabilities that get founders further and faster. And I'd like to explore what the top 10 might be. And we may end up going super deep on just one of them, but um, I'd like to just go through and let's figure out what that list may happen to be. So what do you have to say? Yeah, I think that uh, I've given you know quite a bit of thought to... Um, um, you know, people who are consistently good and consistently getting better, which I would, um, you know, describe as someone who's going to be really successful as an entrepreneur. Uh, I, I think the big thing is um, um, they they kind of realize that being an entrepreneur is a lifetime sentence and yep. they never give any once they've made the decision to be an entrepreneur, which in many cases happens very young, you know, it's uh, early teens and even um, late single digits is not unusual that someone is already more or less um, training as an entrepreneur um, by being out in the marketplace selling something at age 9, 10, 11, 12 years old. Um, I think it's just the understanding that um, that entrepreneurism is going to be their life. So they're never um, conflicted um, by that there might be some alternative that they um, could have chosen an alternative way of living their life. I think that I think they're pretty clear about it right from the beginning that it's going to be them out in facing the marketplace alone and um, um, creating value to differentiate themselves. Okay. So um, my when I take on the role of the simplifier here, I think what I hear is it's clarity, identity clarity. And I, I can definitely relate to that. And I talk to so many entrepreneurs, and that is certainly one that they all have in common, which is, you know what you are, you know you're an alien, um, and um, you can't imagine not being one. Mm -hmm. And um, 
and the best are those who feel like they're born that way um versus an evolution into um that's been my experience anyway might go on a limb saying that but then the other one about creating value that makes a ton of of sense so what else shows up for you i think uh the, i would say that from my experience and this is just you know who i know and it's in the 20000s so so it's been a lot over quite a long period that um they they understand that uh becoming an entrepreneur for the sake of freedom from uh, just kind of gets you going but very very quickly um what you're looking for is freedom too another uh, i used to have a phrase which really worked uh for the biblically inclined and i said you know the skills that get you out of egypt aren't the ones that get you into the promised land and i i find a lot of entrepreneurs and you see this oftentimes of what i would call association entrepreneurs entrepreneurs who um their main activity as an entrepreneur is bonding to an association of entrepreneurs and uh -huh. and it's talking about being an entrepreneur and discussing how different it is to be an entrepreneur from everyone else but they actually you know really aren't out there differentiating themselves as um as an entrepreneur and what i notice is that the freedom from people are always um relating their motivation to something they're trying to get away from and um my feeling is the most successful entrepreneurs are always increasing their focus on something they're trying to get to you know it's it's a way of operating it's a way of living their life that keeps getting better over time and um each year is a chance to make greater progress towards something not um 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 and escaping from something that's good uh i really like that a lot so um freedom to mindset and the difference is the freedom from or avoidance based freedom to are focused on really as to use Dan Dan Sullivan language, a positive moving future. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And and always making progress. Um, and that that seems to lead to um always seeking for additional opportunities that are gonna get you there, more who's greater network. Um, greater capabilities and skills to make that happen. Um, so I want to go down a little bit deeper, you know, how about just bridging that consciousness? So when you have someone's, um, their eyes light up and their brain turns on when they've realized they have the power to be in a freedom to versus a freedom from mindset, or do you think that they're just that way? Yeah, it's hard to tell, um, you know, um, uh, you know, um, um, I mean, uh, I only have access to one entrepreneur actually <laughs> directly. <laughs> and, and so, uh, I'm surmising, um, what goes through the minds of other people and, you know, and I bring it up in conversation. So you get some, um, you know, you, you get some agreement on some, some of these things, but I find, um, at a certain point, it can't be about early childhood trauma, you know, being an entrepreneur. 
and um, you know, and uh, there's conferences, and we we know they which conferences they are without having to talk about them, where it's a steady um, agenda of people just saying how awful their childhood was. And, uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I said, well, that may be true, but one, it's not very interesting a topic for other people. And the other thing is, is there anything that just motivates you from a positive creative standpoint, or is it always going to be, um, the, the repair, the repair of some sort of, uh, pain. This is a third topic. You, you can't on the one hand declare yourself as unique. Okay. And then complain about how other people aren't like you. Well, that's good. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you got, you got to choose one or the other. So, yeah. um, yeah, I, 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 the whole, you know, position that you're unique means that there, um, you've given up comparison. Mm. And do you think, uh, giving up comparison is, um, would be number four then if we went from clarity of identity? I think it's healthy. Um, and it's related to the gap in the gain Mm -hmm. uh, that I think people in the gap are largely, comparing themselves to uh, things outside themselves. They're they're comparing to other people's performance, other people's standards, other people's success, other people's results. And uh, at a certain point, I think your freedom to really, really grow really comes from being very, very clear about um, measurements of your own past success and how you surpass uh, what you've done, you know, and my sense is that if you're a bright person and you're, a, uh, an observant person and you're a responsive person, uh, um, every quarter you can be achieving new gains, uh, that surpass what you've done before. And my feeling is that that's where happiness as an entrepreneur, I think it's human happiness, lies in measuring backwards but i think especially for entrepreneurs because you're oftentimes you're in uncharted territory where there are no um measurements um you're you're mapping out new territory so how could be there be standards for whether you're doing a good job or not except looking at where you were before okay just another curiosity question so and i've been reading a lot lately in both geopolitics and economics. I've really been interested in in those two topics. And I realize um, history means something different to me now than it did 10 years ago or 20 years ago. You know, it's like reading any great book. Um, And oftentimes as an entrepreneur, we're so busy creating a new future. We don't pay attention to um, the past or from history. And that can be great in the sense that sometimes we're not bound to old thinking and old rules. So we invent new ones and solve new problems. But other times we're bound to solve the same problem that's already been solved before just because we're ignorant. So where does um, wisdom and history and knowledge fit into your mapping of, of capabilities? Yeah, well, I'm a big reader. Yeah, Yeah. well, I think that um, 
one thing, I don't care what human activity uh, you're talking about and who's doing it, um, that um, there isn't any real sustainable progress without constant measurement. Okay. And um, um, so I'm, I'm really very um, uh, vigilant about um, uh, recording my successes. Uh, and usually there are things that are provable. In other words, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're actually uh, out in the open measure and measurements and, um, um, uh, you know, and it's numbers, numbers or events, you know, that uh, you last year you had five events like this and this year you have 10 events like that. And that's very, very significant to me. And it's uh, we have a whole series of numbers which um, uh, tell our overall team that we're doing really well and then specific teams that they're really doing well. And I'm, I'm a big um, um, I'm very, very insistent that everybody knows the numbers because otherwise you're you're kind of making it up that you're doing better but if you don't have previous numbers to measure your new numbers by um i i think you uh, spend a lot of your energy um giving yourself positive positive affirmations that don't really relate to um actual results they don't really relate to actual performance and results you know and uh you were uh, you were part of our community with the Lifetime Extender. And one of the first things about getting a handle on your health is uh, get checked up with real measurements every quarter mm -hmm. at a minimum, you know, and uh, don't die from surprise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no. I mean, uh, you, we were discussing just before we came on about a particular test that revealed a particular thing, not dangerous, but useful to know early. Uh, yep. And uh, and I, I, I think about that, but I was talking to um, or watching Peter Z Zion, who's a favorite geopolitics expert. And he was saying that uh, President Xi, Xi, of China is so cut off that in 1991, uh, for a period of three months, they had uh, sweeping blackouts all across China, but not in Beijing. And it was three months after these blackouts that President Xi knew that, uh, learned that they had actually happened. Wow. And the reason is it's bad news. Mm-hmm. And it's a uh, it's a very chancy thing telling President Xi about bad news. <laughs> and and I find that uh, that's on a global level, and that's at a you know a country of over a billion people. But I find individuals on their own. And uh, when we first started discussing the lifetime extender and the testing that's now available, which is quite frankly, it's revolutionary compared to three mm -hmm. years ago. What's available now compared with three years ago is really quite extraordinary. And, um, you know, technology is playing a very central uh, part in the uh, ability for individuals to get really fit, know that they're fit and stay fit 
And, uh, and, uh, and it was really funny. And I was talking to some of my team members and they say, all this testing that you and Babs get, you know, I probably get 10 significant in-depth tests a year uh, because we're in different programs and they, that's part of membership in different programs and uh, for different reasons we are. And um, we've discovered lots of things, you know, and um, mostly plus, but some yeah. minus. And um, we're able to take immediate uh, counteractive measures for the ones that are deficient or I'm low or whatever the test proves. And the team members would say, well, I wouldn't know. I wouldn't really want to know about those things. I really wouldn't want to know. If it was bad results, I wouldn't want to know about it. And I said, well, the fortunate thing is you will. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you don't have to know it now, but I can guarantee you if it's trending in the wrong direction, I can guarantee you. Don't you no. worry about missing it now because you won't miss it later. <laughs> That'll be uh, a turd wrapped in frosting called regret. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's, uh, yeah. yeah. And then there's all this grief and, uh, sadness about, isn't this awful? And, uh, I remember I had uh, prostate cancer. You had, uh, your own, uh, version of, uh, cancer. Little colorectal. Yep. Yeah. And, uh, at a, at a certain point and, uh, you know, and, uh, I remember, I was I was being driven in one of my, my limousine company, and the driver was talking about how uh, he was a cancer survivor, and uh -huh. uh, and that he had had created an organization, and he's part of the leadership of this organization called uh, Survivors Cancer Survivors, and so I told him, "Well, I I had uh, prostate cancer in 2016," and he said, "You did." He says, wow. He says, so you're a survivor. And I said, no, no, no. Uh, I was simply someone who took a test that showed that something um, was out of whack and, uh, um, and surgery was required. And I chose surgery. And, um, you know, um, 30 days after my surgery, I, I was fully back to work. And, uh, you know, and um, uh, it's got some effects afterwards that were different from my experience before uh, before but i said you know everything's good but he said man you should come and talk about how you survive i said i didn't survive i just get checked up all the time and this we caught it in the first six <laughs> months six months i said i didn't survive anything i just uh you know ha i went and got tested and the test showed me something that needed to get corrected and I'm in my 70s, and uh, this sort of thing apparently happens a lot to men in their 70s. So right. I said, I don't, I don't feel particularly special because I had this experience, but I do feel grateful that I get checked up all the time. So that's um, so, so I'm just thinking through the lens of making, yeah, these but going back to, uh, yeah, yeah, well, it's sort of like, um, Number five I have is constantly measuring progress. And, um, and it seems just based on that is, um, you know, if I were going to create a number six, it's you're never being victim to a negative test or negative news seems like an appropriate one. Would that, uh, do you agree with that? I think, I think that, um, uh, 
bad news and good news are just information. Mm-hmm. How you respond to them uh, tells you whether it's a good experience or a bad experience. I mean, like you, I mean, we were like you and so many entrepreneurs who are in the personal coaching business or the group coaching business or the uh, consulting, um, our entire business was totally dependent on large numbers of people traveling to um, have workshops with us. And in one six-day period, seven-day period in March of 2020, the entire basis of our revenues and our livelihood was taken away from us. So that was news. That was news. Okay. Mm -hmm. And it took me 12 hours to get on track and our whole team got on track, um, both running the company and, um, you know, and um, getting paid uh, by our customers. We had to switch really, really fast. And it was very exciting, actually. I found it very exhilarating, you know. So what I'm I'm going to blend that one into is um, you know being able to take massive action immediately based upon we'll call it negative information, but yeah. instead of you know whether it is, and I think <clears throat> connecting with the Zoom, although you made a fast decision, I know, and I don't remember if it was you talking about this at the event we had it in Florida. Uh, we were just at a, a week or two ago. But if it wasn't you, I really, really got clear on something that I think is important, which is the most successful entrepreneurs are the ones who are willing to experiment and iterate and see that as an absolutely necessary part of their success. And so, for example, I think one of the reasons why Elon Musk has been so successful, both with Tesla and with SpaceX, is he's outright said, we're going to blow up a lot of rockets, a lot of really expensive rockets. But every time one blows up, we learn a lot. Because of that, when you look at the the number of rockets that they launch per year compared to NASA, on one hand, you can say, well... Well, to the rest of the world, for that matter. Yeah, for sure. Yep. And and what he, what he's done for private uh, space travel. But also, when you look at the um, self-driving Tesla, they literally have billions of trips of data, of um, visual data. And it's one of the reasons why when Tesla releases its robot, they're going to have an unimaginable amount of data. It's the intelligence, the learning mm-hmm. that has the value um, more so than the, the, the servos and the movement, um, because a lot of those problems have been solved. And some of the problems that haven't been solved yet have more to do with current and power um, and storage and, and batteries, which, which will solve themselves fairly quickly. Um, but the fact that you're going to have these really, really, really intelligent machines right out of the chute because they're able to use that data, much like um, what Tesla or what SpaceX is able to do is not only launch all these rockets, do it with a lot of government contracts and a lot of government government money, which de-risked them, uh, and uh, launch all these Starlink satellites. So it's sort of like they, you know, as long as these things are working, might as well put something up in, in space, which is a residual 
monthly recurring income for a service that solves huge problems worldwide. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, uh, I'm just trying to connect the dots here. I want to get your <laughs> feedback, but it's not just taking massive action. It's experiment, experimentation and iteration, and then being able to monetize while you experiment and iterate as well. Yeah. And I think there's a, a number of, uh, um, what I would call hidden, um, capabilities related to that. In other words, yeah, they're vi- again. visible. And one of them is, um, don't take opposition personally. Mm. Opposition is just opposition. You know, it's, it's something you haven't solved yet. Okay. And, uh, d- don't, um, and I think he's got a fair amount of that, um, you know, in relationship to, um, many other who are, um, described as being at a same level as he is. I, I think he's really different in kind than most of the tech entrepreneurs who, um, basically are one trick ponies, but it just turned out to be a big horse. You know, uh, you know, and in other words, um, um, you know, um, if you look at Microsoft, first of all, there was a couple observations that Bill Gates and his team made. One is that the future was in software, not hardware. Okay, and they got IBM to basically give them the software component of IBM for free. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and and the other thing was that software would not be big and personal computers wouldn't be big unless you could bypass the problem of people having to learn how to program. Yeah. With graphic user interface, which wasn't his, you know, it was not his innovation. It was not Steve Jobs innovation. It, it took place in the um, Xerox experimental lab. In yep. Palo Alto Park. Alan Alan K in the park, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. And um and Xerox would have done nothing with it, so um better that it should be uh, borrowed by innovators who would actually do something with it. But that was the great breakthrough. And once you get to Windows, uh, which has never been equal to iOS, um um I don't see anything else that um, that particular person has done. Is there anything uh, that he's done in the last 35 years that uh, equals what he did um, with Windows? I don't I don't really know if there was any innovation or anything. Yeah, I think Bill, Bill Gates proved that from the beginning, he stole IP and repackaged it and sold it in a really unique way. But he stole and stole and stole. Yeah, MS DOS was uh, basically stolen, and he screwed his partners. He screwed IBM, and then he stole from Steve Jobs, and he lied. I mean, basically, I think it's fair to say on a lot of levels, he's a you know a predator, a sociopath, and a you know. I mean, I, I never really liked the guy personally. And and there's uh, room for the in the in the great American system. There's room for um, individuals like that. Um, yeah. No, I'm not. You know, at the end of the day, they, there's can, another... they, can, be, they can be put to good use. Uh, you know, and, and throw uh, away yeah. the bowl, the crack bowl, if the fruit's good inside. So a lot, a lot's come out of. 
yeah. developing in the platform, but uh, yeah. And James Madison, you know, he said, um, you know, if uh, men were angels, we wouldn't need government. Um, yeah. But they're not angels. And so he said, um, uh, let's go to the other uh, end of the spectrum and say they are they have lots of vices. And let's see if we can just use vices uh, to uh, personal vice and personal self-interest uh, to serve the public good. Can we create a system? And, you know, um, you know, and I don't think there's any other system that could have uh, accommodated people like Bill Gates. In other words, it had to be, you know, um, you know and, I, you know, Elon Musk, uh, you know, uh, is mostly as a child, it was South Africa. Well, you know, he wouldn't, Bill, uh, Elon Musk wouldn't be Elon Musk in South Africa. He yeah. had to, uh, he had to come to the United States, you know. And I said, I, I would say the other thing is, um, you know, about entrepreneurism, you're saying, uh, be lucky where you grow up. Um, mm. be, uh, mm -hmm. be lucky where you grow up and when you grow up. I think timing and place plays a big part in the success of entrepreneurs. You and you and I would not exist 50 years ago as entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. yeah. Really? You think so? Like what, what do you I'd think like, would have happened? Not like we are today. <clears throat> That's true. Yeah. No, we were born, we were born at a good time. I mean, I'm older than, than you, but not the, uh, we're more of a generation together than we are compared to a lot of other entrepreneurs. I mean, we're more or less, um, you know, in an early thing. So I think um, uh, knowing how to take advantage of luck is a very, very important part of mm -hmm. being an entrepreneur. I, th I think 50% of, of uh, how you turn out in life is uh, luck. And I think the other 50% is having a skill in taking advantage of luck. Because <laughs> a lot of people have good luck, but they don't know how to take advantage of it. Some people have bad luck yeah. and they know how to um, flip it. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, like, Jack I mean, Ma, like Jack Ma, yeah. is lucky where he became successful he's very very unlucky in where he became successful <laughs> yeah yeah i've never uh i mean i've listened to the guy before he sounds like a complete dolt to me you know when you did you ever see the interview with it was him and elon musk and it was like i swear it was like listening to a hamster speak to a god and everything that came out of Jack Ma's mouth was at best rodent talk. It was so idiotic. It was unimaginable, but um, well, that's what I remember about it anyway. Maybe it wasn't as bad as I remember, but I just remember being appalled by um, just, there was nothing coming out of his, the guy's mouth. Maybe it was a bad day. I don't know. Maybe it was right before he got pulled in for his, uh, his entrepreneurial beating uh, from the, from the party. CCP. They, yeah. they Hey, this is Mike Koenigs. Sorry to interrupt the podcast, but if you're an action taker and ready to transform and reinvent yourself and your business, go to connect to Mike.com to learn more and book a conversation with me right now. All right, back to the episode.
All right. Well, I'm going to I'm going to read the ones we have here and I want to see because I've got nine so far. Oh, wow. There's a 10. Yeah. Yeah. So I have number one is clarity of identity and understanding that entrepreneurialism will be your life. Uh, The second one is just being able to create value. Uh, The third is the freedom to versus the freedom from mindset. Everything's about um, uh, greater progress. And it's not about childhood trauma. It's not about repairing pain. Uh, Number four is giving up comparison, which is very related to the gap in the game for anyone who hasn't read that book. Get it right now. Um, Number five is constantly measuring progress, which comes in a variety of forms, whether it's numbers or events, quarterly, and um, the next one, number six, is never a victim to negative test or negative news. It's only information and to, to not take opposition personally, just doing something about it. Number seven, we put ex, uh, taking massive action. That's experimentation and iteration. And then number eight is a, the ability to monetize the idea and realize value. That's really, we have creating value from number two. So if there's a crossover, it's that one. Number nine, we have knowing how to take advantage of luck, knowing uh, and being lucky where you grow up. I think that really is interesting because you're right, Jack Ma, he did it in China and then it ended up being an unlucky place. He still did something lucky. Yeah. And uh, the question is whether he'll ever get out alive or be able to take his, his toys with him. You know, he yeah. can't take a sandbox with him, but uh, maybe his toys. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's no question that, um, uh, uh, with you having the, uh, the right mindset and the right approach and skills, um, that there's nothing that compares with, um, uh, being born in the U S mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. and yeah. again, I mean, uh, <clears throat> about five or six hours of Peter Zion on YouTube will, tell you everything you need to know about probably the next 50 years of the planet, you know? And, yeah. And, yeah, and uh, I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll add to that. George Friedman's most yep. recent books have been pretty good. And, um, I, I, I agree. I think the, the, um, there, if, and for any listener or viewer, definitely Peter Zahan or Zihan, Zeihan, Z E I H A N. It's actually George... pronounced like Zion National Park. Actually. Zion. Oh, okay. I asked, I asked him, you know, we. Oh, good. Joe had him as a all day guest at the Genius. So I said, this name that starts with uh, <clears throat> a Z in Canada, mm-hmm. <laughs> how do you pronounce it? And he said, Zion National Park. He said, just think of Zion National Park, and that's how it's pronounced. So it's Peter Zion. Yeah. Well, and, and just, uh, yeah. Well, go ahead. But his big thing is uh, the very, very, I guess, uh, predicting that uh, Russia is very quickly going down the drain is not such a bold prediction, but that China will not exist in its present form 10 years from now. Um, mm-hmm. That's that's pretty bold. I mean, lot, there's a lot of people today um, who haven't um, um, in any way been informed that China is in deep, deep doo-doo as mm-hmm. a, country, a country in any number of ways that you... Um, want to describe and that uh, their very belligerent behavior recently is covering up, you know, um, weakness, you know, it's, it's covering up a, a tremendous weakness. Mm. 
And <clears throat> there, uh, you know, I always say there was a guy at uh, Genius. I don't know if you remember him. Um, uh, it was at the, um, Joe wasn't there. So it was at the November, yes. what, what had been the annual one. And he talked about China, how China is this and China is that. Uh-huh. And I said, you know, um, when I said to him, I said, you know, when President Xi go, uh, is not sleeping well at night, he's not thinking about the United States. He's not thinking. He's thinking about all the all the people who hate him that live within 10 miles of him. That's who he's thinking about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know his uh, the perimeter starts uh starts about 50 feet outside of where he's sleeping <laughs> yeah that's true that's true oh, no. and uh the thing that'll do it is food you know the, the uh i mean just have people really hungry and they yeah they they get grumpy yes yeah, well, so. and that's so we have that's, a number 10. We've got to get a number yeah, 10 because we got to do one. Um, and I just have two little add ons to the references behind besides Peter Zahan and George Friedman. Uh, I have been immersing myself lately in uh, a book, a couple books by a guy named uh, Safidian uh, Amos. It's uh, he's actually raised in Palestine, he is a Austrian economist who just shreds Keynesian uh, economic principles for a variety of reasons. And he wrote a book called the, the Fiat standard and the subtitle is the debt slavery alternative to human civilization. <clears throat> Ultimately, this guy is a big proponent of Bitcoin and creates a very, very compelling argument for and why Fiat is been uh, basically, it, it powers war, it powers a misery economy, and it's quite fascinating. Um, and there's another guy worth checking out, Michael Saylor from MicroStrategy. He's one of the first corporates, really the first to put a lot of money into Bitcoin. And people who are either not bullish on Bitcoin or listen to um, Buffett, and uh, Munger talk about how it's the worst scourge ever. I, the only reason I bring this up is because from an economic point of view, one of the things that <clears throat> I see in common with entrepreneurs is the willingness to constantly invent and reinvent and use and accept new technologies and tools, which is very, very American. It's what makes America strong and great long-term is our ability to constantly create and recreate you know it's um friedman and peter i think both talk about the fact that in america we are a technology um you know we've invented more technology than certainly any other culture on the planet but um anyway yeah, that, well, that was my uh, long-winded uh, way of arriving at a possible 10th but yeah, what yeah, i think yeah i think the um 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 uh and I would say that uh, it probably relates to who, not how that, yep. uh, okay. you know, and technology. Um, I have a lot of who's who bring me the benefits of technology without me having to understand the technology. Yeah. You know, and uh, I, I'm writing a book right now called uh, one of my quarterly books called You Are Not a Computer. And yep. 
And it's actually about who you actually are as a human being, where mm-hmm. uh, um, technology uh, computers can actually be a great assistance. But to the person who doesn't know who they are, technology is not a solution. Mm-hmm. So, um, so what should we make number 10 then with all, all that? Because now I'm, I'm trying to decide, uh, how to best phrase the, how do, you're trying to try to avoid 11. That's what you're trying to yeah, do. Yeah. Well, that's part of me was like, ah, <laughs> oh, we could have a bonus. Uh, no, a bonus. No, I, mean, I, I think we should, be, I think we should be disciplined here and, uh, all right. Force something out, uh, you know, okay. there, there's something, there's one of the existing nine that um, isn't up to. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, we can do the whole um, ability to monetize the idea and realize value. I think um, the value really creation, monetizing do. great value creation. Yeah. Would really be, yeah. yeah, I think that's a big thing because okay. um, uh, you've come across many great ideas that didn't get monetized. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, um, I think the. um, um, So that gave us room for an extra then that we got rid of one. So now we've got the two. Yeah. And uh, I think this is a thing. It's um, it's about your whole life, not just uh, one aspect of your life. Entrepreneurism is about your whole life. You know, it's how you live, uh, uh, you know, uh, what your personal life is like and everything m- like that. And uh, I mean, Elon Musk will tell you that's where he's been a failure is that he mm-hmm. doesn't have any personal life. Yeah. And um, he's got seven kids, but he doesn't have any personal life. <laughs> and yeah, uh, right. and, yeah. and my sense is that uh, he's feeling that now he's talked about it more and I think that's why he's decided to be a hero in the political realm, not just the uh, technology, technological realm, you know. I mean, he knows the government people who've helped him up until now. Yeah. Uh, but I think he's looking further afield for the government people who will be on his side uh, yeah. you know, after November and after 2024. And... Um, I think he he really knows how to position himself. I will say this. Oh my God! Yeah. No, he is so fast. He yeah. And 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 uh, but my feeling is that he's getting an idea now that um, his positioning has to be more than just the neatest new thing that he's created. And there, I mean, uh, he's he. As far as I can see, he's he's come down. He actually said it. He said, the party I used to belong to uh, doesn't include me anymore. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, everybody went crazy, which proved his point. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Then the Me Too, he, he kind of got Me Too'd there with a, um, something popped up literally within 24 hours, um, which he said here's what's going to happen so either he predicted that happening and flipped sides to ease the uh the pain who knows but uh you're right well i want to go back up to the um this whole idea the so the ninth i turned turned into the creating inventing and using new technologies and also yeah. just yeah. dropping in um gaining leverage to know who's to keep you informed of <clears> new technologies yeah. i think those are two that are combined and the last one has to do with this 
um, one aspect of your um, life as an entrepreneur in your whole life. So how would you best phrase that if we were going to make that the 10th? Well, I think it's a, uh, have a 360 degree view of what entrepreneurial success means. And, and in your book, that would mean um, it's balanced. Well, you have a great life outside of yeah. work. You have a great yeah. life outside of work and not, um, not that it appears in architectural digest or anything else, mm. but, uh, it suits you. In other words, your, your life outside of work really suits you. And, um, you know, it's, um, you know, it's, um, it's the energy, your, your life outside of work is as energizing as your life inside of work. I love it. I love it. Well, that gives us 10. So, yeah. uh, I think we yeah, can. Uh, that's we really can interesting. I mean, that's uh, a lot of territory that I hadn't explored before. So I've learned something from this. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. it's been a good, good exercise. I think, but I uh, think uh, uh, entrepreneurism is rather recent in human affairs, and uh, my um, my thesis is that it didn't happen until 1776. Okay, and not because of the American Declaration of Independence which was written in that year, or the book, The Wealth of Nations, which was written in that year. But that's the year that you have the first really productive, efficient steam engine in uh, Great Britain. Uh, and it was mm -hmm. the emergence of steam power that suddenly gave a new kind of multiplier in the world that uh, just... Um, multiplied entrepreneurism very quickly to such a point that they became a class unto themselves uh, that had never existed before. You never. And what I mean is that for the first time, uh, you could actually get rich. Honestly, you could come from nowhere and get rich. Uh, honestly, uh, just by taking advantage of this new productive power of steam engines. And up until that time, you you really had to be well connected or you had to be uh, great at stealing things to become really rich. I want to explore that deeper. That'll be a, uh, um, yeah. Okay. Well, I think we can officially wrap this one up. So um, I have officially called this at least for now, the top 10 capabilities and really their mindsets of a successful entrepreneur yeah, yeah. really are mindsets just as much as capabilities and um, they're documented. So for you listening, watching, you can uh, hit the link and download these because they're all documented along with the transcript of the show and uh, links to the books and references and videos that we talked about as well. And Dan, uh, really interesting. This is a lot of fun. I like I like creating top tens uh, with you. Yeah. I wouldn't mind doing this again. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, would, and it, yeah, go ahead. And we, and we did it by missing 10 others. <laughs> yeah. Not too bad. Not too bad. Yeah. Nothing yeah. better than making, making shite up. So, yeah. um, all right. Well, there you go. This is this episode of capability amplifier. Uh, look forward to seeing you or, uh, watching you in another one soon and make sure you leave some comments for us. We always read them. All right. Thanks for listening and watching. Thank you. Thank you, Mike.